Yo, this is Tyler Bryant from The Shakedown. I've been hanging out with Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks. Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. As always, I'm taking you through the next 45 minutes to an hour or so with another great episode here. We got a great uh, interview lined up. We're going to get into that here in a second. Just a reminder, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can hear The Hook Rocks as well as all my friends or some of my friends on uh, Pantheon Podcast like Vinny Apice and Carmen of Peace on the Hanging and Banging podcast, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, the great DJ out in Boston, Mistress Carrie, Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, and Tom and Zeus from the number one rated KISS podcast, Shout Out Loudcast. You can check out all those on PantheonPodcast.com, as well as all their social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. You can also check out The Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, Apple. We're available on all platforms. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. And you have the ability to listen to all of our previous 400-plus episodes. We've been doing this for about three years. And don't forget to check out our social media pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, The Hook Rocks. So check out the content on all three of those Wonderful sites, as uh, we always request to write us a review. Tell us what you think of the show and what we're doing here. We always appreciate the feedback. We've had some great episodes recently. We just had Bourbon House, the band out of Wisconsin, on our new music spotlight. We also had Tuck Smith, one of my favorite artists. He's got a new album coming out in November. Tyler Bryant, who just released his new album here last week or the week before, kind of the foggy on the time frame here. But nevertheless, it's a kick-ass album, Shake the Roots. And we also celebrated our three-year anniversary with Stephen Piercy from Rat, as well as our 400th episode with members of the Groove Council. Check out all those episodes. Our live album review of UFO Strangers in the Night, our White Snake Legacy Show. We've got it all free on the Hook Rock. So check out all those episodes and all the recent ones 
And our latest episodes, our new episode that we have for you tonight is uh, one of my favorite players. And he's kind of under the radar, my favorite guitar players. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Dorothy earlier this year at the House of Blues in Chicago. And it was a tremendous show. A lot of energy, a lot of synergy with the crowd. The opening acts, Classless Act and Joyous Wolf were incredible. And Dorothy took the stage and uh, just rocked the House of Blues. It was great. Second time I've seen Dorothy. I saw her a few years ago um, at the Bottom Lounge in Chicago. And it was nice to see her and the band at the House of Blues. And one of the members of this band, like I said, is one of my favorite players. He's kind of under the radar. And it's Sam Ban Colton of Faster Pussycat, Butterside, and Dorothy. What's going on, Sam? How are you? Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> I am great. How are you? I'm good. That's that's all based on memory, too. I don't have like a script. I've done it so many times. It just rolls off the tongue. Wow. That's impressive. Thank you. Extremely impressive. Thank you. So as we always start the, the episode, whenever we have a first time guest on the show, we start with the same question. That's really what the Hook Rocks is all about. Just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. Uh, The earliest thing I can remember is as a little kid, little, little kid, like maybe two years old, three years old, loving the song One Headlight by The Wallflowers. And like, just for some reason, I don't know what it was, uh, you know, but for some reason, I just was so into that song. And I was so into the song uh, Elevation by U2. Also, those were the two songs that as a little kid, I just, I don't know, I just ran around the house and sang them or something. I don't know. So uh, those, I guess, are maybe what started being attracted to music. Yeah, yeah, those are what twenty five years old, probably. Something At least, like yeah. Cause I'm twenty, I'm twenty seven. So I was, just, if I was listening to them as a kid, that'd be, uh, yeah, probably. Uh-huh. At least, maybe a little older. So that, and then, yeah, that's probably the earliest memory I have. So where did it grow? Where did it come? Where did that passion come from? You know, you're playing guitar. What was the next step? I mean, obviously, I, I remember being that age too. You know, where you hear music and it's it's you're still processing it, right? You're still trying to figure out what this this medium is, right? And and what it is about it that you like. So, what happens next for you? Um. Well, really. Okay, so past that, the next memory from you know, two years old, three years old is really kind of 10 years old. And that's when I started playing guitar. Uh, and I saw the TV show, uh, Rockstar in Excess. So it was where, uh, the band in Excess, it was a reality TV show where they were looking for a new lead singer. And this was on in 2005. And the guitar player and the house band on the TV show, Rafael Moreira, not only did he have like every Gibson guitar, ever which i thought was rad uh still to this day uh and but just something about it just made me want to play so that's when i started was at 10 years old from that tv show i remember that show i I think the singer who was picked was actually from chicago 
and I, I think the name of the band was like the Love Rockets or something like that. I forget the name of, of the Chicago area band. Oh, so there was a singer on that show, not the one who was picked, but Marty Casey. Yes, that's and it. And he that's was it. with the Love Hammer. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And then oddly enough, fast forward, he was in L.A. Guns for a little bit with Chad Stewart and Danny from Faster Pussycat. And then I met Marty Casey on my first tour with Pussycat a couple of years ago. And uh, he's a very cool guy. Awesome. What about the guitar? You know, I mean, you, you've you heard this music. You know, you watch that show. This this guitar player with, you know, every Gibson, you know, ever made was he was playing on stage. What where did that direction go or, or what direction did you go in with influence, um, with playing? What attracted you to those players, too, as well? I don't really know. So, I mean, that's that's the first thing that I can really remember is a TV show and and how that guy just Raphael, how he played and and the, all the guitars and stuff. And then after that, I guess from listening to the radio, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So from listening to the radio, there's kind of like two rock stations. Uh, there was the classic rock station if you wanted to hear more than a feeling over and over again. And then there was the alternative rock station where there would, you know, they were playing bands like shine down and three days grace and Seether, And that's kind of what I gravitated towards. So not like that super, I wouldn't consider that super guitar player kind of music, but uh, for me, I just liked the songs and I've noticed I've always kind of liked songs more so than like, guitar playery stuff but also riffs so it doesn't have to be it's not like a lot of that music has shredding guitar solos by any means even though uh guitar players in a couple of those bands can certainly play like that uh it's it's just always kind of been about the riffs or like the song itself i don't know yeah has there ever been a definitive influence for you on guitar like someone that you always go to or, or that influence is there always there for you well nowadays it's it's like jerry cantrell and that's kind of what it's been for like the last 10 years or so so that's kind of the go-to answer for that but uh growing up it was really uh like rafael morera and uh zach from shine down and just a lot of a lot of players like that, and then a lot of local players uh, from St. Louis, where I was growing up. Uh, my friend Mark Kral, I had started taking lessons from him and started playing in some local bands in town in the St. Louis area and uh, cover bands and stuff. And that's where I learned a lot of stuff and kind of drew a lot of influence from. Was especially a guy like that because that was somebody who I was literally going and taking lessons from and then going to the bar right after to sit in at open jam night and play songs with. So it's interesting, you know, I mean, everybody's got their story, everybody's got, you know, where, where they, where they came from in terms of influence. I guess my next question, you know, with the evolution of you as a musician, when did it become, I want to be in a band. I want to write music. I started playing in a band. Um, Let's see. So I started going to bars and to open mic nights when I was like 12. 
So I think the first one I ever went to was with uh, somebody who I ended up being in my first band with. And we had met through local, like in St. Louis, there was like a summer camp thing, camp jam that I did for uh, a year or two that I did for like a summer. It was like a week or two week long program. Don't totally remember too much about that, but that's someplace where I met uh, the people that I ended up forming my first band with. So, but I went to this open mic night, started going to open mic nights when I was 12 with that, with that friend. And we would just play there every week. And then I guess we decided to start a band together. So that was probably by 13 or so we, we had a band and we were, uh, me, him and I, I think were 13. And then the drummer was like maybe 17 and it was a three piece and got to do a lot of stuff locally. But the craziest thing probably was opening for some friends. A lot of long stories here, but the, there's, there's some tribute bands in St. Louis that have been around for a long time that every year they would do these shows at an arena in St. Louis. It's the St. Charles family arena and they hand out free tickets for months and people pick up these free tickets and thousands of people come to these shows. Uh, and I guess they make the money off parking concessions. Uh, so they give away free tickets. My band got to open for one of those when we were 14. So the very long winded answer to this question is standing on stage in front of 10,000 people was kind of like, the moment where it's like, yeah, I kind of want to do this forever. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. What a great story. I mean, you kind of, it's almost like you kind of fell into it. You, you, you have that night, you know, that, that innocence when you're young and here you are playing in front of 10,000, you're like, wow, this is so cool. It was crazy. It's, it really uh, didn't seem real but at the same time like i wasn't nervous or anything i can count on one hand probably the number of times i've been nervous to play because like when i'm playing that's the one time i'm not nervous so it's it's like you know there's certain uh high pressure situations that i've been in before where it's like oh okay but i don't equate it out to nerves or anything was that the catalyst for what came next? That moment, you know, you're in St. Louis, you're playing at this festival and, you know, you're guy, I mean, you're probably what a freshman in high school or going into high school at that time. I, I was yeah, at 14. I think I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> wow. So when did it become more serious? Was it that moment or was there still moments that were coming after that? There's still some stuff that came after that, but I mean, that was pretty, solidifying and wow okay i think i should uh i should do this uh but the after that it kind of that band broke up and disintegrated and then started playing in bars with multiple cover bands in the area uh to the point where before i left st louis i was up to like maybe 12 or 13 different groups playing like different songs and stuff and was doing gigs five to six nights a week, uh, like nine to one, four hour gigs. And 
So I did that for a long time from basically 15 until 18 until I moved to LA to go to college for music, to go to Musicians Institute. So yeah, I guess that's what came next. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, That's tremendous. I mean, playing nine to one in bars when you're in high school, um, I, I, I still get reminded by that story that, that Butch Walker tells. He's in class in high school doing the same thing, playing till one, two o'clock in the morning in these bars with, with nail polish on his fingers, trying to stay awake in class. Um, that's really, that, that's just, that's very unique because, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of people have that opportunity to do that. I do realize it was a very unique upbringing and I'm very thankful to the people that were, were helpful, you know, for the adult musicians I was playing with that all taught me different things in different ways. And to my parents for always being supportive because they would go out with me every night and they had to get up earlier than me. So, uh, yeah. How important was it for your parents to be supportive for you? Because that's tough, right? Because uh, there's not a lot of parents that are okay with, you know, their kid playing in a bar. And and, and I'm not saying like, you know, I think that's the coolest thing ever. But I mean, that's that's got to have be be important to have your parents in your corner like that. Oh, I mean, incredibly. I mean, I wouldn't be. I don't think I would be where I'm at at the current stage without that at all because that was everything that was everything going out and playing granted I did well in school too so it wasn't it wasn't like I was uh you know just screwing off and going to play music but I always did well in school which allotted for me to do it and my parents have just always been supportive. I mean, dude, they came to the show last night. <laughs> they were literally at the show last night. And, uh, and but that's uh, not Bloomington. too far from Bloomington. St. Louis is what an hour, hour and a half. I think it was like two hours for them. Okay. So they like to pick spots on the tours and they come to shows and it's, it's still really fun. And yeah, they've just always been really cool. They've been supportive with. Uh, my younger sisters too, just whatever, you know, whatever they want to do. Luckily, one of the sisters has become a nurse. So they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> when did it, uh, when did it transition from cover band to original music? Uh, basically when I moved to LA, because in St. Louis, there just really wasn't a big scene for original music. I mean, with, with the, with the first band I was in that, that had original music. So there was some of that early on. And then I did play with another band that was semi original music, but it was, again, it really kind of happened more when I got to LA really. And the first band that I got in did a little bit of stuff with, um, but that's, I guess that's where it really kind of transitioned most. I just spoke with Paul Moak, the producer in Nashville, and he talks about the importance of his parents supporting him. You know, having that, uh, you know, support meant everything to him as well, similar to you. 
that, you know, he could rely on his parents to, you know, know that this was his passion, know that this is what he wanted to do. And, you know, he went to Emerson College in Nashville. He was in some bands and now he's producing. He's, I think he's playing guitar for Ann Wilson too as well. But very similar to you, you know, that important, that important support in the family unit really meant everything. And he says the same thing. It wouldn't be where he was today without that support. I wouldn't have been able to, first off, I never drove, still don't drive. So wouldn't have been able to get anywhere. Second off the, the bars, it was like, they were okay with me being in there as long as I was accompanied by a parent and was not drinking, which I still to this day have never had a drink or done any form of substance. But, um, so without that, I, there wouldn't have really been any of me playing in the bars, which then, I mean, I don't really know what life would be like if I hadn't done that. Cause that's just, I learned a lot of songs. So there's a lot of songs in here, uh, which then also I feel like prepped me for juggling the multiple bands that I'm juggling at the moment. Cause I just, I don't know. I can just uh, go from playing gigs with pussycat to go to playing gigs with Dorothy. And it's like, it's all still right there. And I can just go back. I could go in and do a gig with Butterside tomorrow. And I think it'd be fine. <laughs> so, Well, when you, you know, when we talk, that's really, your upbringing as a musician, you mentioned all these bands you were in at a very young age, you mentioned doing all these things. And even after, you know, all those moments before you moved out to LA, you were in a a few different bands. You went out to LA too, and you were in a few different bands. And, you know, it seems like that's always been a part of your DNA. Yeah, it really has. It has always been a juggling thing. So call it, call it whatever you will. Maybe the, the need to feel like I, need to do different things or like just wanting to do different things. So one thing doesn't get stale or fear of commitment, call it whatever you will. (laughs) Well, it is also part of what's happening in rock and roll these days. Even some of the legacy guitar players that have been around since the seventies and eighties are in multiple bands. Now, you know, without the effect of an advance from a record company, that money isn't there like it used to be. So you need to find different ways to reinvent yourself. You need to find different ways to gain an audience. So it really is indicative of what's happening today in music. Right. One of the examples I I use is, you know, George Lynch, George Lynch is of course, famous guitar player from Dokken has his band Lynch mob, who just recently changed that name to George Lynch and electric freedom. Now, and he's in bands with the guys from Kings X and corn. He did the, album with uh Corey Glover from Living Color. He's done a lot of different things. So he keeps himself busy, but there's a lot of examples of that. And I, I think as a rock fan, it's interesting and fun to see a guitar player who I'm a fan of like yourself, you play in Dorothy, see you live with Dorothy, which was awesome. You know, hear you in, in the new latest version of Faster Pussycat. And then with your own band, Butterside, that has a little bit of more of an edge to it. So to hear, hear those different perspectives of your playing is, I love that. I think that's great. I think, I, I wish there was more of that when I was younger to hear all that stuff. 
Um, and for you to be comfortable with that, because it, you know, if you, if you've never done that and you, you were a guitar player in one band for 20 years and all of a sudden you find yourself in these other projects, that can be a little bit worrisome. It can be a little bit of a challenge because you're not used to it. So, um, right. I like it. Ah, oh, well, thank you. I don't know. I've never really thought about it. It's just kind of like everything is just sort of a natural thing. It's, it's not really like, I just approach each thing differently, but it's not like I have to go out of the way to do it. I guess if that makes sense, it's, it's just kind of like, I mentally know it's like, okay, for Dorothy, I need these pedals and I need it to sound like this for pussycat. I need few less pedals and I need it to sound like this. And then for Butterside, it's like, I need a few more, more pedals and uh, to tune down low and have it sound heavy. How did the opportunity with Dorothy come to be? That came uh, from, uh, I had done gigs with Elliot Larango, her bass player, uh, who is not currently with us on this tour, but I did gigs with him, him in LA. And so we had a friendship. We'd known each other for a while. And I think Dorothy kind of hit me up on Instagram at some point. Like we just started talking on there at some point. I don't totally remember the, uh, I don't remember the chronological order of things, but I know that we started communicating on there and my good friend slash adopted older brother, Ace Von Johnson brought her to the Viper room at some point to see me play on a jam night. And we met, that's when we met in real life. And basically that night she was like, you should jam with my band. And I was like, I'd love to jam with your band. And then, uh, and then COVID happened. The wonderful world so of COVID. There, yeah. So there was no jamming with any bands. Um, and then when it ended up coming time to do her record, she ended up hitting me up and said she wanted to take me and Elliot to New York. So uh, before I even really, I didn't really audition. My audition was playing whatever songs I was playing at jam night at the Viper Room that night. That was kind of my audition, I guess. Ace is a uh, great dude. He's been on the show here a couple times too as well. He um... Yeah, for those who don't know, Ace uh, is now the one of the guitar players in L.A. Guns, but he was with Pastor Pussycat for nearly 10 years. And uh, he's also the reason why I'm in that band. So Wonderful dude. One of the good guys in rock music, I will say that. Yeah. So this album comes to be, it's a big, huge album for Dorothy. It's a big, huge album for you. The tour um that you guys do in the spring with two great emerging rock bands too as well i think has really solidified dorothy as you know an act people want to see you know this is now going from that emerging rock status that a lot of bands hang on to for a while and then you elevate yourself into really a position of 
a, a common name, a, a name that rings a bell to people. And this album has done wonderful for her. What has the album done for you? Uh, it's allowed me to come along and do a couple tours with her so far, which have been really, really fun. Uh, getting to be associated. There's actually a lot of players on uh, that Dorothy record because after we did the sessions that she brought us to in New York, uh, only a few of those songs ended up making the record and she ended up writing a bunch more songs with a bunch more people, which, you know, was a really good idea for her, I think, because she didn't have rest in peace. She didn't have black sheep. She didn't have a really good bulk of the album. And those are the two songs, I guess that are the, the singles. Some of them like a beautiful life was one we did in New York and made to die was one that we did in New York that ended up being untouched and big guns we did in New York. Um, but pretty much everything else kind of became something else afterwards or she or uh, other songs came to be for her. And just for me personally to be involved, she, she wrote all the songs with a lot of really, really great people. She wrote one song with Jason Hook, formerly of Five Finger Death Punch. She wrote one song with uh, Keith or a couple songs with Keith Wallen, who's in Breaking Benjamin. Um, you know, these are guys and bands. I mean, I saw Breaking Benjamin when I was 11. So uh, the, um, and then, yeah, there's just a lot of really great players all on the whole record. So just to be involved at all is, is really, really cool. And then touring has been great. We've been on this tour with, Dirty Honey, and we did that tour in the spring with Joyce Wolf and Classless Act, and it was a blast. And uh, yeah, just getting to play with some really, really great players and get to do cool shows and play guitar. As you mentioned touring, and obviously, you also mentioned COVID. And because of the delay in COVID, you had a whole bunch of bands now touring right i mean everybody's out on tour it seems like um everybody how, and their mother yes how how does that create or what challenges that create for you i mean i know faster pussycat just went out with la guns and tom Kiefer. you also have your band butterside which i think you did some dates in between the break between the spring tour with dorothy and then this tour now but what, what challenges that present to you to kind of keep all those balls in the air and, and keep playing with those bands? Uh, patience. <laughs> mostly, mostly patience from everybody else uh, because um, it's uh, only going to get worse. <laughs> so, um, no, it's, it's worked out. It, and luck. Luck is the other thing because – things have lined up because the uh where the Dorothy tour ended actually the last date I played with Butterside was in March right before the Dorothy tour okay and we filmed a couple videos there before that uh which uh there's one that is yet to come out. I'm not really sure what the status of stuff is. I have to find out what's going on. 
Uh, but then in between the Dorothy tour and the Faster Pussycat tour, Butterside, we also filmed another video. So there's two songs with videos uh, that are in theory getting edited now. And, um, but then with the Dorothy tour, that lined up basically with the Pussycat tour, even though unfortunately with the Pussycat tour, I had to miss the very first show of the run and I had to miss the very last show of the run. But out of 52 shows, that was felt like pretty decent odds. And, uh, but yeah, everything is lined up so far. Uh, the Dorothy tour, this one lined up with the end of the faster run. And then it looks like there's a couple other things that are going to happen before the year is over too. And, uh, it looks like those should line up with each other as well. Now, are so, those Dorothy, Butterside, Faster Pussycat? I am doing a gig. The gig is confirmed, and I'm locked in on doing the gig. Uh, it's with Josie Scott. Uh, Josie's the original singer of the band Saliva, which going all the way back, my first band, we covered a Saliva song. And... So that was back when I was 13. So grew up loving the band and loving the songs also. So we met at Rocklahoma a few weeks ago. And the way that went down was kind of a little, a little crazy too for the, the kid inside of me. Um, but yeah, it should be really, really fun. I'm stoked to play the songs. For someone that always has a lot going on, what was COVID like for you to have everything shut down and to not have the ability to play? Uh, freaking boring, man. <laughs> not fun. <laughs> really not fun. So that's why I, I feel like this year is not only trying to make up for COVID, but uh, every day off I've ever had in my life. Uh yeah, COVID, it's just I try to keep it as positive as possible and keep working on stuff. So writing riffs and doing demos and trying to do whatever I could. You know, I really just spent a lot of time. I do like Facebook Live things where I just sit and play guitar for a couple hours and try to play people's requests. And that's really all there was to do. It had to be difficult just to be creative as well, because for most people in your situation, find the, the, the inspiration to be creative through living life, through experiencing things. And when you're not doing that, in fact, all that stuff's kind of taken away. How, how deep did you have to go to really find that creative bug? I don't know, but for me still, it also kind of like, it depends on the day, just even in general. I mean, I'll just, sometimes I'll sit down and play guitar and sometimes there'll be riffs. And then other times I'll sit down and play guitar and be like, have I played guitar before? Uh, so the, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it, certain times the anger of it probably for me 
helped or the frustration just because I generally write riffs when that happens, I guess, in general. Uh, I've got a lot of things that, you know, from being up till three, four or five in the morning and just, you know, if I come up with something, I got to keep going. And um, it's definitely, there's definitely some music uh, from during COVID that are in the new Butterside songs for sure. I mean, uh, the song Never Worth It is 100% something I wrote at night during, during the pandemic for sure. When you think of the current bands that you're in, you know, Faster Pussycat is considered that legacy artist. I saw Faster Pussycat when I was 12 years old at the Aragon <laughs> Ballroom in Chicago, which they used to refer to as the Aragon Brawl Room, uh, with Y&T and Ace Freely. So this was 87. I went to Catholic school and, uh, I took my, me and my friends, we took the subway, which is the, called the L in Chicago. And like, you know, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. We walk into this venue to see Faster Pussycat and Wine Teenage Freely. And it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, you know, people passing joints over our shoulders and everything. It was like craziness, <laughs> you know? Um, but I still remember that first time I saw them. And then you have, of course, Dorothy, as we talked about, who's become one of the faces of, you know, the new wave of rock who's become, you know, has solidified herself in the genre. And of course, Butterside, which is like I mentioned as you as a guitar player, kind of like under the radar, but gaining popularity, gaining an audience. Whether you have, when you have all three and you mentioned the pedals that you need more pedals, this pedal for this band, how, how difficult is it for you to kind of go I mean, obviously, you've got years of experience going from band to band, but now we're talking at like a different level. Is it is it difficult for you to make that transition when you're going from, you know, not just album to album, making an album? You're talking like basically day to day or I'm sorry, tour to tour and also like a matter of days. You can yeah. say day to day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like day to day. It's like, do you, do you ever like wonder, like, do you ever wake up like, okay, what band am I in today? No, no. I mean, honestly, it's, it's not, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is certainly worth talking about for, cause for some people it is a whole thing, but for me, it's not really a whole thing. I'm like, I, I pretty much, I've got certain guitars that i guess it's like oh okay i use that with me i like that better with this band or but like my my main les paul still goes with me to every band even other local uh gigs in la outside of the three bands um i use the same amp for all three groups i just use it differently for all three uh i use a lot of the same pedals some just have more some just have less some just have different ones uh i still do stuff like everything every gig is gonna have a les paul well multiple les pauls i should say and every gig is gonna have you know a friedman amp even though uh i'm using another amp company in addition 
uh, on this tour, uh, this RJS. Uh, and then pedal wise, I do stuff again, just, it depends what's needed. So, so with faster pussycat, let's start with that because that's the most basic of them. Uh, really, I need a tuner, a talk box, an overdrive pedal, a wah, and I like having a delay. And then I also use for all the bands, I use some sort of solo boost, um, mostly because uh, Dorothy is the exception because we we have our own front of house guy on tour with us. But with Faster, with Butterside, uh, I generally don't trust sound guys. And that's because I grew up playing in bars where you had to boost your own guitar solo if you wanted to get the guitar solo heard louder than the rest of the band. So uh, in every incarnation of my gear, there's always some kind of solo boost. Um, and then going to Dorothy, uh, I just need a few more delays. And instead of the talk box, I have a Univibe. And instead of, uh, you know, uh, the treble gets dialed back a little bit. So it gets a little bit darker and a little bit fuller because I'm only one guitar player. And then uh, with Butterside, I switch over to the dirty channel of the Freedman and then have a separate pedal board with a switcher because there's spots where I need to turn five things on at once and five things off at once and have it be instantly clean or instantly dirty. Um, yeah, I, it's just, I know it's a really complicated, long winded answer, but uh, for me, it's not really difficult to go between the three things i just automatically think a certain way for the band it's like okay show them up for faster it's like okay i'm playing jack the bastard in bathroom wall today and then i show up for dorothy and it's like okay i'm playing down to the bottom and flawless today you know and i just play that way for those songs i go back to your upbringing in music you know as you talked about earlier in the interview or in the conversation about you know, was it 13 bands at one time or something like that, or nine bands at one time or something crazy where you're playing in, in a different band each night. And I think when you think of your career now and what you're involved with, with the bands, I think that's what makes you so valuable is your, your ability to, to change it up, to kind of be what you need to be for a different artist. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, when you think of your flexibility, it's very unique in that you can be someone different in each band, which is really kind of cool. Well, thank you. But it, it really does go back even to the, uh, to the upbringing and how I grew up playing in bars because those open jam nights, when I was doing the open mics, especially when I started to be the guy who was in the house band for those, it's like, okay, one song you're playing Alice in Chains, next song you're playing Alanis Morissette, next song you're playing Led Zeppelin, next song you're playing freaking uh, Grace Potter, I don't know, or like next song you're playing, you know, it goes on and on. So it's like, oh, okay, you just try to play that, but play it in your own way. And, or just between the different nights, one night it's like, okay, tonight I'm playing... Allison Chains and Soundgarden. The next night it's Aerosmith and White Snake. The next night it's uh, 
Dio and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Uh, so that really does translate to now because it's not even it's not even a a thought for me. Like I literally went from the end of the Pussycat tour we did uh, to a couple California shows, and I flew into this tour, and my gear was already on the way here to this tour, and it was like. I landed and it's like, okay, tomorrow we're playing uh, and doing these songs. How much of the bands that you were in when you were younger and all this music that you played and the, and the d- diversity in the music you played, how, how much did that make you even more of a music fan? Because you're basically playing everything. Many different subgenres of rock and uh, and beyond. Yeah, I I don't know. I've never thought about it because uh, music has just always kind of been like just the happy place and the so uh, it's always been a love for it. So. It's, it's an interesting uh, it's, it's an interesting way to evolve as a musician because you know you you I would love to see you know your I don't even know if people have iPods anymore but you know your music on your phone you know how diverse it is because you've had your hand in so many different things in terms of playing priest to you know whatever and it's it's especially someone that young because I, I know when you're younger as I I can only speak to my experience and you know people I hung out with you really kind of focus on one thing right you you fall in love with a style of music and for a long period of time you it's all you listen to right you you tune out everything else and every once yeah. in a while a song will creep in that you'll like but you really don't develop a, a an eclectic taste of music. Until I would say probably, you know, your mid twenties, you know, and beyond. And you still go back to that stuff that you listened to when you were younger. But you know, the fact that you were playing all these different things is is a completely different way of absorbing music than actually listening to it. You know, because you understand, you know, how it's played, you've played it, it's different than this song. You really kind of know at a very young age the complexities of songs and like you know some songs are maybe easy to play but writing an easy tune is probably more complex than writing a tune with 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 you know just shredding up and down the fretboard but it's it's a very i mean i've interviewed a lot of people on this show i've never had someone have that type of evolution as a musician such as you it's really interesting and really cool well and it's still a work in progress i'm not like uh i'm still i still feel like I need to do better at, uh, you know, listening to stuff outside of rock or trying to maybe pick up some things from you know, other other genres and stuff because I mean, there's just always room to improve, at least in my book. And uh, the yeah, I mean, even. Uh, going when I went to started going to MI, uh, it was it was I noticed 
things where it was like where we had to play and do things but some of the people the other fellow students didn't know like stuff about pedals or stuff about tones or stuff about anything and i'm just like well like you need this like you need i don't know something as simple as you need a wah pedal like you're playing a guns and roses song you need a wah pedal or like um i don't know just what i'm getting at is um things that also have just always just been second nature to me is just tone things um that's that's just always kind of been in my head and it's never really been a thought from i guess from again growing up and uh learning the way that i did i think i touched on the things that you said i don't i, I believe yeah lost. absolutely as we end the interview and as we you know finish this up a very interesting way or interesting perspective you have and i really have enjoyed the conversation as you look beyond 2022 into 2023 you know is there you you mentioned like there might be some more stuff on your plate but is there going to be more butter side is there going to be more music with dorothy and faster pussycat for you yeah yeah i mean that's all in the all of that is in the plans new music with everybody it's all all in the plan i mean especially uh some faster pussycat stuff is is ready to go there's some new stuff that uh there's a new song for anyone who doesn't know there's a new song called nola that came out last year uh in 2021 uh that we play we've been playing on the tour so if you saw us on the last tour we played that every single night and uh so there's some more songs that are that are ready to go that'll hopefully come out soon Uh, i actually just listened to them again the other day because i hadn't heard them in a while and then with butterside we have three more songs i think that are in the can that are ready to come out that i'm not sure what our timeline is exactly uh for putting out some more singles with some more videos but we also want to go and record some more songs to have a a full length 12 song records we have eight eight songs total i think right now and uh being five that are out and three that are unreleased um and then yeah dorothy at some point is going to do some new music and uh, she's mentioned wanting to work with me in the future on that. So I just, everything will just, I just see where everything lands. So I just say, we'll see what happens with everything, but it is in the plan to do it with all three things. Uh, if not more. Sam, this has been interesting and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, enjoyed the conversation and look forward to next time. This was, uh, this was great. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It was fun. That is Sam Bam Colton uh, from Faster Pussycat, Butterside, and now on tour with Dorothy. Catch them with, uh, I, don't, I know they're going to be in Chicago here, uh, or outside of Chicago uh, here this week, and also in Belvedere, which is up near Wisconsin. So uh, check tour dates on Dorothy's website. And you can check out Sam and the band.
playing songs from the new album. It's a great show. I had a chance to experience them this, uh, early this year in the spring. Uh, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Talk to you soon. Take care of each other. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.